0: Yo, take a look at the bad guy. Eh, hey, chico? Haha, <laughs> welcome back to episode 21 of the Cox Talks podcast. Here we are. Here we go. Listen, terrible Razor Ramon impression, I know, but God rest his soul. Uh, we lost a great one last week there in Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, uh, whatever you want to call him. Listen, okay, I'm a wrestling fan. I still am a wrestling fan. I've been a wrestling fan since the 80s. But what got me hooked was Razor Ramon, who later became Scott Hall in the WCW and the whole NWO takeover and and all that whole storyline. Yeah, it got me hooked on wrestling. Big wrestling fan. I still watch wrestling. Not quite as much as I used to, but listen. I enjoy just watching the fucking drama unfold. It's entertaining, okay? I get a good laugh out of it, okay? I get some of my chirps from wrestling, okay? I get some of my podcast ideas from wrestling. It's it's entertainment. It is sports entertainment. Is wrestling fake? No, actually wrestling is not fake. The They have predetermined outcomes, but the physical abuse that these guys put their bodies through, you cannot, you cannot argue that that shit is fake so let's get that out of the way uh, (laughs) right off the bat so welcome back again to the cox talks podcast yes episode 21 please don't forget you can follow along on uh, my instagram page at the cox talks podcast any questions concerns comments dilemmas as always you can reach out to me there or if you are one of the lucky ones that has my personal contact info uh yeah reach out and get a hold of me so today's episode, um, listen, again, back to the wrestling. We're going to talk Scott Hall. We're going to touch on his career. I have a guest coming on to talk Scott Hall, a, uh, an old buddy of mine who is is uh, uh, an, a bottomless pit of, of wrestling knowledge. So we bring him on. And you know what? Like I said, Scott Hall was one of my all-time favorites. He's one of the all-time greats. I know that probably only 17 of my listeners enjoy or will understand or will have any clue what I'm talking about as far as the wrestling goes. But listen, we can do this, okay? I'm going to give you a freebie here. If you don't like wrestling, if you don't want to listen to wrestling talk, fast forward to about the 33-minute mark, okay? Go to the 33-minute mark, and we'll take it from there. Today's podcast theme, bad guys, okay? So once we get through some wrestling talk, we're going to talk some more bad guys, okay? But uh, listen, let's get it off right off the hop here. Let's bring in my buddy Johnny Jameson um, from the greater Keswick area here in Ontario. And uh, we're going to talk a little Scott Hall. Okay, so on today's show, longtime friend, longtime wrestling enthusiast. I mentioned at the start of the show was a little bit of a somber week last week in the wrestling world as we lost one of the greats, Scott Hall, better known as Razor Ramon. So on the show today, long-time wrestling aficionado, John Jameson. John, how are you today?
1: Not too bad. Uh, thanks, for, thanks a lot for having me on, Trevor. Great to be back here. And uh, i like to say hello to all my friends over in, in your neck of the work, uh, woods in Uxbridge.
0: Perfect. Well, listen, uh, for, for those that don't know, um, John and I have known each other for a long time um through the the very small junior hockey world here in Ontario and I I knew you were a wealth of knowledge for local hockey junior hockey specifically you have a memory like I've never seen before but I was unaware until we joined up as buddies on Facebook I was unaware how much of a wrestling fan you actually are let talk to us about
1: that well I think that goes back for me um turning 51 this year, but back, to, uh, I'm going to say back to 1984. And that was when, uh, Vince McMahon Jr. Had taken over the, the, uh, business from his father and, and obviously brought the WWF to more of a mainstream with the, with the rock and wrestling era, as well as Hulkamania myself, I've always liked the bad guy. Uh, so I was, I was a big Roddy Piper fan who we lost, unfortunately about, uh, six, seven years back. But uh, um, just remembering the delivery of, of, of the pro- of the product and, and, and getting up every Saturday morning and watching uh, uh, wrestling superstars on, on uh, Channel 29 and uh, right through the first WrestleMania. But back in those days, you still had uh, Wednesday afternoons. Uh, i get home from school. The AWA would have their show on. And I would tune into that. And that's when I first saw Scott Hall. And he went by the name Scott Hall. He was a face. So that, that, that in, in the wrestling world or, or terminology, he, uh, a baby face was the, was, was, was the good guy who stood up for uh, moral fiber and character. And he was in a tag team with Kurt Hennig. And they were the AWA tag team champions for on and off for a couple of years. And then he... Went on to uh, have a, a one-on-one feud for the title with uh, Larry Zbyszko, which was a which was a long story feud. The AWA before they uh, everything kind of went its separate ways. Like that was the end of the of the territories in wrestling. And uh, um, Kurt obviously went from the AWA to the WWF, who we knew was Mister Perfect. And then Scott Hall went to the WCW. Uh, which he went well, went on to be the Diamond Stud, I believe was his, was his in ring in ring yeah. name.
0: He was the protege. He was a protege at Diamond Dallas Page, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, he was. I think that's like, that's probably who gave him the name. And I remember him in a tag team uh, match uh, uh, with a guy by the name of Oz, who we later know became uh, Big Daddy Cool Diesel uh, uh, slash Kevin Nash. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Hey, listen, that's that's some great history right off the bat. Actually, now um, there is the ESPN documentary out there that uh, called the wrestler, the Scott Hall story, um, but it dates back and it talks about something that not a lot of people knew. Um, Scott Hall, in his early career, was actually involved in a homicide um, as he was a bouncer at a bar. Is that that's
1: correct? Is it not? I had. I had read something briefly about that. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to reread like what his, what his involvement was in, in that. Like, uh, was he a person of interest? Was he, was he ever going to be formally charged with, with anything directly or indirectly related to the crime? Um, um, I was never quite sure about that. It was just something that I'd heard, read in passing over the years. And sometimes uh, there's, there's a difference between myth and reality. Like um, um, there could be stories from the past that have been highly exaggerated over the years, or there, he could have very well been involved in something or indirectly, but I'd I'd have to really read up on that.
0: Yeah. I I think if memory serves me correct. And of course, any listeners out there that you guys can all Google this, but I believe he was the bouncer at a bar and he was involved in, in a man getting, getting killed and I believe he got off on self-defense um, as the guy, the guy that the person that died actually was the one that came at Scott Hall. But I mean, uh, you want to, uh, uh, Scott Hall's personal demons are well-documented, but I mean, it, it started at a very, very early age for him. Now me being quite a bit younger than you, I, um, I really took off with the wrestling in around 87, 88, you know, uh, that's when, when I can start remembering, Remembering wrestling, um, you know the days of Hogan, Savage, Steamboat in in the WWF Saturday Superstars, um, which was the show that that I always used to watch, and then later Monday Night Raw came along, and that's really when I mean Razor Ramon, uh, or sorry Scott Hall, yeah, he had his early run in WCW, but WCW is kind of a floundering, a floundering, um, association of that time, um. Scott Hall never really got his big break till he came to the WWF as Razor Ramon.
1: He was one of, the, one of the great few. When you look at the history of WCW, especially back in the days when Ole Anderson was the booker, who uh, uh, his claim to fame was, was that uh, back in George, the days of Georgia Championship Wrestling, he fired a gentleman by the name of Sterling Golden, who, or Terry Boulder, uh, um, who went on to be Hulk Hogan. And then he was also the same guy who, who, uh, who had uh, told Mark Calloway back in 1990 that he would never make it in the business. That's back when uh, when uh, The Undertaker uh, went by the name of Mean Mark Callis, working alongside Teddy Long in the WCW. And so he came over to the WWF, look what happened there. And Scott's another example of uh, of mismanaged talent, as well as uh, uh, Kevin Nash. He he had been he had been uh, um, Oz slash Vinny Vegas before coming over to as Diesel. Vinnie Vegas. And then we all remember the uh, uh, Eric Bischoff's biggest mistake was uh, letting go of, of a stunning Steve Austin, and uh, and it was just a. That was the, the thing. The, the thing that really t- took off with WCW was all the mismanaged talent. Like uh, it, it, the list went on. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was another one. Ray Mysterio,
0: Chris Jericho, yeah, yeah. The the list goes on and on. But yeah, well, I I guess when Scott Hall got got to the WWF as Razor Ramon, no, he had really hit the big time, and and it's well documented as well that he had he came up with that character essentially on his own as he was a big fan of the Scarface movie. So he wanted to be a bit like Tony Montana and uh, he used to practice. He used to practice all that stuff. Uh, the way he talked the lingo, uh, you know, Chico machismo, all that stuff. He was great at it. Absolutely. And, and that's where once he got to the WWF, that's where he really took off uh, a couple runs as intercontinental champion for sure. And uh, a, a bat. no my opinion on Ray's Ramon was that he was a heel that ended up being a baby face. Would, would you agree with that?
1: I think so. Um, that's essentially what happens with a lot of them. Like that come up that way. Like they'll start out as heels, but as time goes and the character evolves, their, their moral fiber or, or, or just that, just that, uh, um, that charisma that comes out of the character actually has appeal to the fans to the point where they, where they would rather cheer the the uh, the uh, and that was another thing with the, with the Razor and Diesel era slash Hall and Nash was, they were the epitome of the of the heels that were actually cool and they were actually that they were actually cheered for what for for the characters that they were,
0: absolutely yeah so that and this was right around the time when they formed, uh, what was called the Click. So it ended up being uh, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, uh, Sean Waltman, who most would know as X-Pac or the One Two Three Kid, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, and, of course, uh, one of my all-time favorites, HBK, Shawn Michaels. Talk to us about The Click.
1: Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of sunny days with The Click. <laughs> um, I, I think people have to uh, uh, listen to some uh, some of JR's podcast to understand where I'm going with that one. Absolutely. But... Um, <laughs> Um, the click was kind of a backstage group of friends that their friendship had evolved with the time that they had spent in the business together, and with the level of experience and intelligence that uh, that that group had, they were uh, the way it, my my take on it. They were given some say in booking decisions as to who worked with who, um, who who went over. Um, and I think that was, uh, done because, um, they were given some say into the betterment of, of the product and the show. And when you look at each of those guys now, I've never been totally sure on Sean Walt, uh, Waltman, but, uh, the rest of them, you look at uh, the level of success they achieved, like they, they obviously knew what they were talking about. Now with this group, they were also mostly, uh, involved in one of the, one of the most controversial, uh um, a few of them actually, uh, uh, the most controversial, uh, incidents in history. You might've heard of the curtain call. Yes. And that yes. was back in 1996, June, 1996. Uh, it was a steel cage match in, uh, uh, Madison square gardens and it was hall and Nash's last night in the WWF. Um, you had, uh, you had, uh, Hall as so the it was the last night as uh, of his Razor Ramon character teaming with Shawn Michaels um, against Hunter Hearst Helmsley and and Big Daddy Cool Diesel they had they, they went out they had their match uh, I forget even who won that match but after the uh, after the match was over apparently they had made some little agreement in the back that they were going to come back out all together and raise their arms all together and, uh, and and embrace which in the wrestling world is a, is a no-no because it's you are it's a, it's what's called a kayfabe you're breaking character uh because you had uh, you had two of them good guys two of them bad guys and now here they are embracing and shaking hands and hugging and 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 um seeking some sort of an emotional send-off from the fans uh, and I remember Vince McMahon and, and, J- and jr and everybody backstage was furious, as well as other wrestlers. Um, so Hall and Nash, nothing could be done with them because they were leaving to the WCW. And Shawn Michaels was, was the world champion at the time, so they, uh, they couldn't do nothing with him. So Triple H was the one who took the brunt of the punishment. Uh, in 96, he had been scheduled as, as legend had it, he had been scheduled to win the King of the Ring tournament and potentially go on for a title run. Uh, but what had happened was, was that they had withdrawn him from that and they had put Steve Austin in that spot. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But,
0: now that, yeah, so that was right before, I mean... I mean, the internet was kind of just on the cusp of breaking out at that point, right? So so there was no kind of behind-the-scenes internet stuff going on where, where people could figure out that, you know, it's like you said, kayfabe was still a major part of the wrestling industry at that point. Nobody knew that those guys were actually, you know, really close friends, as close as they were. And what's funny about it, too, is some of those some of those groups or some of those those wrestlers like Shawn michaels and diesel had a, had great programs together where, where they fought one another they were tag team champions um diesel or kevin nash was was introduced as Shawn michaels bodyguard but probably the best program to come out of the click was the razor ramon Shawn michaels rivalry um and obviously every wrestling fan would know this match, which uh, which cultivated the great match at WrestleMania 10, the latter match in which Razor Ramon won the Intercontinental title. Would you call that match Razor's defining moment as a wrestler?
1: I would say yes, because he, him and Sean, like I, I remember watching that night, like that was one hell of a performance. Like they both, they both laid it on the line they left it all in the ring they bled they, they 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 sweat they um the moves like the aerial the aerial moves were, were just were just out of this world and they really they really sacrificed their bodies just to just to uh, uh do everything to put the company over and that was i believe wrestlemania 10 at madison square garden correct and that was basically the start of many just like uh just like The Undertaker and, and Shawn Michaels at Bad Blood in 97, it was uh, with, with the Hell in the Cell, that ladder match was the start of many more ladder matches to come. And it is still considered to this day um, the measuring stick of all ladder matches.
0: Yeah. And interesting enough, and I actually watched this the other night. Uh, I, I didn't watch it, I saw it on uh, the Monday Night Wars on the WWE Network, which, yes, shamelessly, I subscribe to the WWE Network, 38-year-old man, but um, was interesting. Was For that match, they only had one ladder. So if something had to happen to that ladder, they were shit out of luck. You look at ladder matches nowadays, or even back when the Hardys and the Dudleys and Edge and Christian were having their ladder matches, there's 25 ladders laying around the ring so you can dispose of 24 you can break them in half you can bend them you can twist them whatever but they had one ladder to work with and it lasted the entire match and that ladder might i add you went through some physical hell of its own for sure but yeah you're you're right though an an absolute measuring stick for ladder matches
1: and and uh, as i said and i know we're, we're supposed to be talking about razor but for Sean, he 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 pioneered the first the, the first hell in the, the hell in a cell match And I believe he was in the first ever Elimination Chamber match, if I I recall.
0: Yeah, I believe he was as well. That's right. So, So let's fast forward now. Hall and Nash, they go to WCW. And this, again, this is, the internet is, you know, the internet is around, but not really. So people don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with wrestlers as far as contracts and appearances and such like we do now. But Scott Hall shows up on WCW Monday Night Nitro. And I wouldn't say storms the ring, but enters the ring, grabs the microphone and tells the people, you all know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. You want a war, we'll give you a damn war. Talk to us about that and how that was perceived by wrestling fans and the crowd around the world. Because this, this, listen, this was cutting edge stuff. This had never been done before. Almost like an invasion angle. Talk to us about that.
1: Well, I was just watching this very thing the other day. Uh, it was uh, the this 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 what you're talking about is the very next night after the, um, the curtain after call. the uh, uh, curtain call. Scott Hall showed up on WCW TV after being on a WWF card on, on on Monday Nitro, and he he comes just casually comes through the crowd as it's Tony Schiavone and 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 Larry Zabisco uh, doing a uh, uh, play-by-play and commentary on the match in the ring and uh, he just casually hops a railing and you hear Zabisco say uh, as 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 the camera is uh, is zooming in on him what the hell is he doing here and wait a second now he's hopped the railing and now he's grabbed the mic and <laughs> he is he is uh, just interrupted the match or just completely disregarded the match in the ring. And he plays the angle of you all know why, you know, you all know, know who I am and you know you all know why I'm here. And, and then he starts to, to mimic uh, uh, macho man, Hogan and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Sting and is, uh, inviting a, in, inviting a uh, some sort of a confrontation, and the way it was booked obviously was nobody knew that. This is where Eric Bishop was brilliant. Nobody knew that Hall and Nash were leaving the WWF until all this had, had gone down. Um, so for him to just show up on their TV, it's it, it, it to, to the viewer, it's that shock value, like holy shit, what's he doing here? And um, he makes the promise that the following week I will have a big surprise for you. So we get to the next week and you hear uh, Bobby Heenan uh, ranting about what, you, what, it takes, what, what it takes to uh, make it in WCW with Shivani and, and Bischoff at the, at the table. And all of a sudden, uh, Scott Hall just uh, shows up out of the audience. Walks up, up, up onto the platform that the color commentary uh, team is uh, is sitting. Grabs the mic and he confronts Bischoff with, with, well, do you have your three people yet? And Bischoff says, I don't have my three people, but I only see one of you. Uh, you said you were gonna, you you were gonna have a surprise. Where is it? And then he points over Bischoff's shoulder. Nash, Nash shows up, slaps him on the shoulder, and. I love the lines. Like it was something to do with. Uh, um, uh, he he said last week that uh, that he that uh, he was bringing somebody out. I'm here. You still don't have your three people. Um, what you you couldn't you couldn't uh, dust off enough fossils back there, or or you couldn't find a, a paleontologist to clear off some stones to get a team, and on it went like week uh, week after week until until they escalated it to the bash at the beach, which um, was the relevation of Hogan being the third member of, of this, uh, of this team called the outsiders who were, who, who uh, essentially became the new world order. Correct. And yeah. the shock value, the shot value week after week was just because a lot of people, and as you mentioned, this was pre-internet or, or this is like before YouTube was, was, uh, was uh, able to uh, put out multiple clips on anything. A lot of people legitimately think that that uh, WWF stars have invaded the, the the WCW.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. And one of the one of the other most infamous points to that or parts of that was what they called the the backlot baseball bat attack in which I forget which pay-per-view, it might've been a Monday Night Raw was going on, but Hall and Nash are seen in the back lot of the studio or, or arena, wherever they are. And they're beating up on all the WCW wrestlers with baseball bats. And still, nobody really knows what's going on, but it was so real and I'll never forget. Rey Mysterio jumps off like um, a deck and Kevin Nash catches him and just throws him like a lawn dart into the side of the building. But it was so real and it was so intense that people who owned houses that their backyards backed on to this venue or whatever was going on or people that were driving by in the parking lot they they act the 911 actually received calls. They thought it was a legitimate attack that Hall and Nash were putting on these wrestlers. That's that's how real this
1: was to people. So what Nash had done was they had talked with the tech guys backstage. um, We need two bats, uh, a real one, and we need you guys to rig up something. So something probably just with uh, like a week 10. um, But uh, uh, the two of them were going to go out with the bats and that's when you had, I think it was the Four Horsemen, the Dungeon of Doom, a bunch of them all in the ring. And uh, they're going to come out. And so what Nash does is he goes to one corner on the outside. Um, um, Hall is on the other corner. Nash takes the real bat and smashes it off the step. He does that on purpose so so people hear, like on TV and in and and in the audience, people hear this bat, that right. that, that yeah the real bat. But Hall has the rigged up one. Right. So right. it's not so he goes in. And he just starts wailing on, uh, I think it was the barbarian first. And, <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, and then Nash comes in and he's not really swinging, but he's, uh, it's, it's got that look that they are beating Correct. these guys with baseball backs. Yeah. And absolutely. it just happened to, it just, it just kept adding to the shock value. And this thing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when they get backstage, when it was all said and done, um, Nash says to Bishop, he says, I think we're, I think we're beating bits. Yeah. On the, absolutely. On the, on the ratings.
0: Yeah. Cause this was huge in the Monday night Wars. So, so obviously, I mean, for those that know wrestling, I mean, Hall and Nash, they go on a, they go on a tear as the outsiders, they get Hulk Hogan to join them. Um, they call themselves the the new world order and they change the course of res, wrestling history forever. But this is Scott Hall's prime. I mean, he is, I think he he was 6 foot 5 and I think he was tipping the scales at about 270 and I mean he was just an absolute specimen of a human being. He had the world literally by the balls for lack of a better term. But as as the years went on in WCW, they didn't work as much as they did in the WWF. They had a bit more spare time. They were able to do whatever the hell they really wanted to do. His his inner demons of uh, alcohol and substance abuse kind of caught up to him.
1: Yeah, I think what had happened there, and this was big on so many levels. But I'm going to and, and from what I have always read, and I've always, I've always studied the business, the impact of Hall and Nash uh, going over to WCW, and this was Bischoff deciding to do this angle, and he was through. He just wanted to, he he just wanted them to run with their in ring with their regular names. He wasn't giving he wasn't uh, putting characters on them or any gimmicks. Run with your uh, just just keep their regular names. So, so Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and let your let your personality kind of integrate with with the in ring character. So what the impact the business impact was when Hall and Nash went over. They were among the first, I'm sure Hogan was probably the first, to get what was called guaranteed money in their contract. Correct. And this was at, this was at the time when Ted Turner and, and Turner Broadcasting Systems had owned WCW. And he also owned Time Warner, which was a major motion motion picture company. So there was an influx of money to be paid. And these guys got what was called guaranteed money, making twice as much as what they were working for Vince. And back in in the days, like when, and and we're going to go right back to the territories, wrestlers were paid, like there was never any guaranteed contract. Like you were given an idea. But at the end of the day, revenues are based on pay per view buys, uh, ticket sales at house shows, live events, and maybe some merchandising. So you're only going to get uh so much of what you were what you were uh i don't want to use the word promise but gauge to Hall and nash uh, said no uh no way we want this and they got it and with that you just mentioned uh it was well known that the wcw did not work as many house shows as the wwf did so their schedules were a lot easier and they were given the freedom to do other things uh, um, if they were going to shoot some movies or do some promos, uh, uh, commercials, um, it was much more of a lucrative atmosphere. And this was the impact on the business because now Vince, who has just lost these guys, um, he's got, at the time, Shawn Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, The Undertaker, um, but he's got uh, Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, and, and The Rock coming up. He's got a problem now. If uh, with with their contracts coming up, if he doesn't ante up, these guys are going to jump ship, and we all know that Brett eventually jumped ship, and we know why. Uh, that could be another topic on another episode, but Ooh, um, yeah. <laughs> but we know why. But the thing was was that the uh, the uh, um it was referred to as the money pit in, in Atlanta, so if Scott Hall was making a lot more money and having a lot more free time, then yes, his, uh, uh, his demons were going to be fed a lot more frequently.
0: Absolutely. There was, um, I mean, there was, there's a couple instances on WCW Nitro and some of their pay-per-views where he actually showed up to the, to the ring for matches or promos or whatever inebriated. And they actually tried to play an angle on that as well, which, You can agree with you can disagree with it's it's you know it's kind of enabling I guess if you want to look at it that way for sure but I mean this these demons span for years he went back to the WWE after Vince McMahon bought WCW Um, he was removed from the roster there due to his substance abuse and he showed up at TNA. Um, he, he spent a little bit of time in TNA whereas you know his demons were were quite prevalent and quite noticeable to those in the public. I mean he fought them for years and years and years and uh, it, like I say later on his his body just broke down and everything caught up with him. You can't live like that forever.
1: That's for no. Sure. No. Um, he had been involved and I'm sure you've heard of this in, in wrestling history, the plane ride from hell it's been referred to. It was yeah. after WrestleMania 18 in Toronto. The roster, almost the entire roster, was flown to Europe to do. Uh, I think they did 10 shows between uh, Italy, Germany, and Spain, or something like that. And on the flight home, uh, a lot of Let's just say uh, there's been a lot of stories, and, they, and anybody can go on YouTube and look this up and and listen to all the accounts. But let's just say that ride got out of hand because exactly. um, they they were they were grounded. They they boarded the plane, but uh, they, uh but they were grounded because there was some, an issue with the runway. So they had emptied out the bar while they're sitting in a plane on the ground. Um, more the, the the bar got completely restocked and i think they got they, they, they killed all of it too before they took off but uh it was uh it was a recipe for disaster and at the end of the day scott was one of the ones uh terminated because he was deemed uh one of the uh one of the uh, uh causes
0: yeah for sure for sure um so I mean, I we I get getting close to the end here. I got to wrap this up soon. But in your opinion, is Scott Hall the greatest wrestler to never wear a world championship title? Now, when I say that, I mean in in what I would call the big two, WCW and WWE.
1: I would say he's up there. Uh, him and Roddy Piper. Yeah, but the thing, but the but the thing that made that puts him in that class with Piper is that with the personality, he didn't need to have the title to to be over that hot like like he could he could sell out a building uh, without having, without having the gold on.
0: Absolutely. and and you know you, you mentioned him earlier, but uh, in my opinion, you could even put Mr. Perfect in that conversation as well with Roddy Scott um, as never holding a world title, but you you hit the nail on the head. they didn't need it. A lot of guys get the heavyweight title put on them to put them over to help sell out buildings. They could sell out of buildings without.
1: Yeah, they they certainly could. And you have to remember um, half of that time that would have been the Hulkamania era. So there was no way the title was ever coming off of Hogan or, no. or even the WCW. Like he was he was the kingpin out of all of them.
0: That's right. Um, yep.
1: So that would have been... A difficult thing to justify, but yeah, he had the ability to do what he did without a title. And um, uh, uh, what what more can I say? Like he, we truly lost a a legend and and uh, in and out of the ring, and some and somebody who changed the business. And many wrestlers thank today for the things that him and Nash did.
0: Well, absolutely. You know, you we we talked about the whole contract thing, and you know, a lot of people can say that. Okay so you look at someone like the Undertaker and the Undertaker has had some title runs but he hasn't had as many as some people think he may have or think he should have but the Undertaker always put the better of the business first and he's another one I mean he didn't need the title to to be over and a lot of people call Hall and Nash very selfish for for go, taking the money taking the money taking the money now in some cases, yes, you can call that selfish. In some cases, you can say they were just looking out for their own. But a lot of wrestlers, there's a lot of wrestlers in today's in today's business, and you know some wrestlers that are getting a little bit long in the tooth now that they credit Scott Hall just because they would sit down and pick his brain on the business, and he was an absolute encyclopedia of wrestling knowledge.
1: Yes, he was. Um, he he basically and and it goes back to the click like when you have when you when you reach that the, to that uh, uh, that level as what's called a top guy top performer so your main event or you're in the top three matches of any major pay-per-view uh well respected um you're, he was going to have the say he was going to have a lot of say and input on on what guy should be getting the pushes up, up the card and and who should should remain where they are. And he definitely did a lot to shape the show, which is fairly important.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, no, you, you said it. I mean, we lost. I mean, listen, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that don't watch wrestling, don't know anything about wrestling, but I guarantee they've heard the name Razor Ramon or Scott Hall. There was a time where, hey, listen, those were household names.
1: Yes, they were.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you're right. the The business lost a good one, and they lost him too soon. Much like most wrestlers, they all seem to die too soon, too young, whatever you want to say. But uh, as he said, uh, what 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 was it he said? Bad times come and go, but gap, bad guys last forever. So yes,
1: uh, I recall that line. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so listen, Johnny. That that's gonna wrap it up. Um, I appreciate you coming on to talk to us to with some about some wrestling and and more importantly, Scott Hall and Razor Ramon. And and you hit the nail on the head. He's gonna be missed in the business. But listen, thank God for YouTube. Thank God for the WWE Network. You can get your Scott Hall or Razor Ramon fix at any time.
1: Well, thank you very much, Trevor. It was, it was great to be here.
0: All right, thank You take care. Take care. So there you have it. Yes, uh, like I said, uh, did I did I shed some tears over Scott Hall? No, was I sad? Absolutely. It's 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 always too bad when it, when someone of that type of uh, and that much personality, um, that much clout in an industry, uh, whatever, however you want to spin it, put it. Uh, it was sad to see him go. Uh, he was a great guy. He always provided great top notch entertainment. Um, he's one, like I said, one of the all-time greats and Scott Hall, he's, he's definitely going to be missed in the wrestling industry. So, yeah, um, so we're going to stick with the bad guy theme, but I want to give you folks a heads up on, um, my next episode, episode 22, I've actually been invited to go live and, uh, I'm going down to an agricultural customer appreciation day where I'm going to hook up with some people down there and I'm going to record. Uh, I won't be in my studio. I'll, I'll be recording live from said Appreciation Day. Uh, we got, I got um, some cool guests lined up and it is going to be kind of a little ag-related podcast, an educational, agricultural-related podcast. Um, I have a, a guest lined up with a really cool um, story about... Uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, really... Um, Trauma, I guess. Uh, A story of trauma and uh, some personal growth and and the highway to recovery. We got to guess we're going to go over that. And, 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 said customer appreciation day is famous for their home-baked pies. So I'm going to sample roughly 312 pies and I'm going to give you my, uh, a little bit of a pie review. Everybody, uh, everybody loves eating a little pie. So, Yeah. So anyways, sticking with the bad guy theme, let's get into this. As I said, today's show, we're going to talk about my five most favorite bad guys from some movies over the years. Now, of course, this is a topic that you could go on and on and on and on and on because uh, pretty much every fucking movie has a bad guy, but these are five of my favorite. You're free to, you know, agree or disagree, and we're going to talk Um, we're going to count down from five to one, one being my most favorite movie bad guy. So coming in at number five, Carl Racky. That's right, Carl Racky from the infamous Rob Lowe movie, Youngblood. So for those of you that it's a pretty popular movie within the hockey World. Some folks out there, some po- folks listening, may have not seen the movie Young Blood. But if you have not e- seen the movie, even if you're not a hockey fan, I urge you to go and find it. I'm sure it's it's you can find it anywhere. Uh, but anyway, so Carl racky he is the nemesis. He is the villain, the antagonist of Dean Youngblood. So Dean Youngblood is a young American kid who gets called up to the Hamilton Mustangs and the. Uh, Canadian Junior Hockey League to uh, finish out the season there. So at tryouts, Carl Racky, played by George Finn, who was actually, believe it or not, a real hockey player, spent a lot of time in the OHL for the Sioux Greyhounds, the Belleville Bulls, the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, Later on, he just kind of bounced around some semi-pro leagues down in the States. But So Carl Racky is this grizzled, you know, big, hulking, grizzled veteran man, of a hockey player, and he's trying out for the same, for the same spot on the roster, that little young Dean Youngblood, little clean-shaven, fresh farm-faced kid from the States, they're trying out for the same spot, so as tryouts go on, long story short, Youngblood kind of makes a fucking idiot out of Carl Racky, and we're just going to refer to him as Racky, so, you know, Racky gives him a shot, Youngblood gives him a shot back, and Racky gives the famous, you know, you want to go, pretty boy? And Youngblood thinks he's tough, so he stands up, and Racky fucking one-punches him. Well, as the tryouts go on, Dean Youngblood, he puts up about fucking 10 goals in the scrimmage, so they cut they cut Carl Racky. The Hamilton Mustangs, they cut Carl Racky, never to be seen again as he makes a dramatic exit from the old Hamilton arena. But keep in mind, uh, Racky's shown as this big, hulking, you know, 20-year-old man among men. Well, later on in the movie when the hamilton mustangs get to the memorial cup final versus the thunder bay bombers tough hockey name by the way tough hockey town i'd imagine playing hockey in thunder bay but the thunder bay bombers face off against the hamilton mustangs and guess who the thunder bay bombers have on their roster <laughs> none other than carl racky now what makes what makes racky one of my favorite bad guys in a movie is He actually looks the part like he comes across as this like, you know, 6'2", 240 pound fucking goon straight out of the, you know, late 70s, early 80s. He's got the beard, you know, he's got scars, he's got stitches, his equipment, even his equipment is it's old and it's beat up, you know. His helmet looks like it's seen 217 fights over the years. And he's got his, there's one scene there where he's got his wrists all taped up like he's ready to go, right? He's always, always ready to fucking scrap. So being being the bad guy, like a bad guy on an opposing hockey team, I always thought that they did such a good job of, with Carl Rack. You're just making him seem like he's just not a guy you want to get tangled up on the ice with, right? So long story short, Carl Racky, he spends the series terrorizing, just terrorizing the Hamilton Mustangs, and he takes a cheap shot, and he takes uh, Dean Youngblood's best friend out, Derek Sutton, who, might I add, if you've never seen the movie, is played by Patrick Swayze. That is correct. Patrick Swayze in a hockey role. Can't believe they made him cover up that fabulous hair with a fucking CCM bucket, but another topic for another day. So Racky takes a cheap shot, he gets Derek Sutton out of the series. And Dean Youngblood's so mad. He's so fucking mad. He actually just goes home. He goes home. He goes back to the farm. He's so mad that they didn't suspend Racky and so on and so forth. So Youngblood, he goes home and he spends fucking five or six days training out in the barn. And he comes back for for the final game of the series and he ends up back in a fight. He ends up in a fight with Racky. And this is, is, again, straight out of the 70s. He ends up in a stick fight with Carl Racky. And long story short, Youngblood, he gets his vengeance for his friend Derek and for that early training camp fight, and he beats the shit out of Carl Racky right at center ice. So much that Racky's just left in a pile on the ice at center ice, bleeding from the mouth. But I just, he's one of my favorite bad guys because it's a hockey movie. I'm a hockey guy. He was very well portrayed as, as, as a goon in that era of hockey. I just thought, you know what, it was... The, the movie Youngblood itself is is a good hockey movie as far as hockey movies go. But I do think the most real part of that movie is the character portrayed by by George Finn, who plays Carl Racky. And uh, yeah, he is number five on my list of my favorite all-time bad guys. Moving on, number four on my list. My fourth favorite bad guy in movies is none other than... Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang from Rocky Three, of course, played by Mr. T. Now, keep in mind, this is Mr. T in his absolute prime, too. Like, I don't... Okay, so I'm I'm just a little bit too young for Mr. T in his prime. But Rocky III came out in 1982, so a year before I was born. And the A-team actually never got off the ground until 1983. So you could, you could say maybe this was his coming out party. But Clubber Lang, the undisputed, well, sorry, not the undisputed, the number one challenger for Rocky Balboa's heavyweight title of the world. And, of course, he shows up. He shows up and, you know, he's very persistent. He runs his mouth at Rocky Balboa. And, and I mean, I'm not sure anybody out there plays a better angry black man <laughs> than Mr. T. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, maybe. But he just doesn't have that fucking raw effect that Mr. T had back in the day, right? He's absolutely fucking shredded. He shows up. He shows up to that fucking press conference. Um, where Rocky, I believe, is maybe announcing his retirement. I don't quite remember exactly. I can picture it, but I just but I think maybe he's and you know, Mr. T shows up, cleverlang, and he talks about how Balboa's dodging him and about how Balboa's been been fighting all these bums, so to speak, and they've been set up fights set up so that Rocky can look good and blah, blah, and he's got his fucking He's got all his rings on, he's got his gold chains, he's got a sick, a fucking sick, like deer skin fucking blazer on. It's like a I don't know what you I don't know if it's a blazer or what it is, but it's fucking deer skin and it's sweet. And he's got his earrings with all those fucking feathers hanging in his ears, which leads me to wonder like does Mr. T have some native in his ancestry? I don't really know. Um but I just thought the deer skin blazer and the the fucking sweet feathers in his ear is just it's just very native native looking fashion, in my opinion. But he shows up at the press conference and he even goes as far as he calls out Adrian. He's like, "Hey Adrian, you want to go home with a real man?" And he's grunting and he's growling and he's fucking snorting, right? And um, you know, like I said, he's he's an oppressed, angry black man, and nobody plays that better than Mr. T. So you know. Through persistence and through constantly running his mouth, he gets Balboa into the ring. Um, on the way to the ring, of course, he pushes Mickey. I don't know if you remember, but they they have an altercation in the hallway, and he fucking pushes Mickey up against the cement wall. And you know, Mickey Mickey goes into the to the trainer's room or whatever, and Rocky goes out and gets his fucking ass handed to him in the first round. Mr. T made to look really strong here, right? Like just comes out with a fury of punches, knocks Rocky out in the first round. Rocky gets back to the to the training room there and Mickey dies. So so now Mr. T's really a bad guy because he essentially killed Rocky's trainer, right? And he's just got no remorse for nothing. He's just, like I said, the most angriest. I think he's the angriest he plays the angriest black man in a movie I've ever seen in my fucking life. I can't I can't <laughs> I can't stress on that enough. Really. But at first he, he you know, Balboa wants a rematch and at first at first Clubber, you know, he turns it down, but you know, it's it's a movie, so the good guy's gotta get his chance back at the bad guy, right? So then Rocky, you know, he gets trained by Apollo Creed and that's the big push. That's where Eye of the Tiger came. It's got the Eye of the Tiger, baby. It's the Eye of the Tiger, baby. And uh and Rocky comes out. Uh, in the rematch, and beats beats Clubber Lang, of course. But yeah, I just thought, you know, just a great... And if you listen to some of the monologues that they give Clubber Lang in that movie, like, he just goes on and on and on, and he's just... Just his delivery, it's so... it's Like I I said earlier, it's so raw, and it just sounds like such a savage coming at you and he's so angry like you're actually it's overwhelming you're actually it actually makes you take a step back from the screen you're like whoa like this guy's super pissed and I mean I didn't watch a lot of A-Team because like I said I was like just born when it came out but I don't recall Mr. T doing a whole lot of acting and and I actually you know what to be honest I thought it was I thought it was a job well done. I thought it was some great acting in Rocky 3. And like I said, it's just it's overwhelming and it makes it really makes your ears perk up when when he's got the microphone and he's going off on screen there. So yeah, so he is my fourth favorite bad guy Clubber Lang from Rocky 3 played by Mr. T. Number 3 on my all-time favorite bad guy list. We're going to slow down the pace here for this one. This one was really, really well done as well. And we're going to go with Johnny Ringo. Johnny Ringo from Tombstone. Uh, the famous Wyatt Earp movie. Or made about Wyatt Earp. And uh, Johnny Ringo, he's... I think he, he, he does not get enough credit in this movie. So... Johnny Ringo were first introduced to him at the very start of the movie when the cowboys, um, that's the whole group of bad guys, they roll down into Mexico and they shoot they shoot all those police that are at that wedding. And then they go over and they kind of take over this wedding feast that they're going to have. And the uh, the priest, he comes out of the church to condemn the cowboys and he's blah, 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 blah whatever Mexicans sound like when they speak in Mexican And uh, Johnny Ringo just turns and shoots the fucking priest right in the forehead. So, I mean, right off the hop, you're like, okay, so this guy is a bad mofo. He's just, you know, he's shooting priests. There's not, not, you don't see a lot of priests killed in movies. So when you see that, you kind of, you take note right away. But I mean, even for killing priests, Johnny Ringo, he's, he's a very calm, cool, collected character, but he is one bad mofo. Of course, and uh, there's there's the the best scene I think that Johnny Ringo is in is when he actually meets Doc Holliday, who played by Val Kilmer, of course. Doc Holliday could actually be taken for a, a bit of a villain in this movie too. The only reason he's not is because he sides with the bad guys. But if you really pay attention to the movie, and Tombstone's one of those movies I've seen it 917 times, but if you really pay attention, the Erb brothers. Are really the only ones that like Doc Holliday, so you could actually throw him into the mix for a bad guy, but because he sides with Wyatt Earp, uh, I I decided not to choose him. But uh, about midway through the through the movie, Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo they meet in the famous bar scene where they're playing cards and you know they exchange pleasantries in Latin, to which and and. and th- if you look back into history actually Johnny Ringo and Doc Holliday were ju- were known as some pretty quick pistoliers. I think that's what you call it. Guys that are that are, you know, quick on the draw with their pistols. So Johnny Ringo, he does that whole thing with the gun. You know, he's spinning the gun on his finger and he gets all fancy and he does this and he does that and he fucking whew- Slides it into his holster there. And then fucking Doc Holiday does the same thing with his fucking shot glass. He's got that shot glass with the ring on it to put your finger through. So Doc Holiday does this the whole same fucking thing. But throughout the whole scene. Like Johnny Ringo. Again, you know he's the bad guy. But he's just very cool and calculated throughout the whole scene. Um, of course, there's the, the scene where... Johnny Ringo, they've had the shootout at the OK Corral, and the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday, they do some serious damage. Well, now Johnny Ringo, you know, he wants to play for blood, and he stumbles out into the street. and eh, don't, don't you have the guts to play for blood? And Doc Holliday, who's getting his fucking beard trimmed up and his hair cut, this is where the famous "I'm your Huckleberry" comes from. He steps out because he's he's again he's sticking up for the Earp brothers, right? He they he knows that they really want no part of Johnny Ringo. But this is really the only part in the movie where you see Johnny Ringo come unglued as a bad guy. He's all drunk and he's wasted and he's calling out the Earp brothers and you you know he's maybe just getting in a little bit over his head. But this is really the only, again, this is the only scene where he just, he comes unglued, he comes apart as a bad guy and you know that's where he's slipping and you know that he's ultimately gonna meet his demise. But I think one of the key scenes where Johnny Ringo is portrayed as a bad guy is in the movie, the Cowboys, they go around one night and they shoot the Earp brothers. Well, Morgan Earp ends up being fatally shot in the back uh, while playing pool. Well, as the Earp brothers, uh, Virgil and Wyatt, they're, they're leaving town. Wyatt Earp is taking his brother Virgil and his brother Morgan's corpse to the train station to see them off. And they stop in front of the Cowboys hangout. They just stop. And Wyatt Earp, he just wants to tell them that it's over. You know, it's, it's it's been an eye for an eye. It's over. And they stop. And the first thing Johnny Ringo says is he turns to Curly Bill and he says, You smell that, Bill? Smells like someone died. And, I mean, there you have it. You have Morgan Earp laying in a coffin being pulled by Wyatt Earp's wagon. I mean, if that isn't the coldest, most heartless fucking lines maybe you've ever seen in a movie that does not define somebody as a bad guy, then you're not a very astute individual. That was just, that's one of those lines where you just sit in there as a viewer and you're just like, oh God, I can't fucking believe he said that for sure. But anyways, we all know what happens to Johnny Ringo. He sets up a gunfight with who he thinks is going to be Wyatt Earp down by the big oak. And who shows up but, again, Doc Holiday. Now, Wyatt Earp doesn't know this because Wyatt Earp shows up after the gunfight's over. But, long story short, Johnny Ringo, my third favorite bad guy, he meets his demise as he fights Doc Holiday in a gunfight and takes a bullet right to the fucking head and dies. Now, in actual history, supposedly, that gunfight actually took place, but... Nobody can actually confirm it. Johnny Ringo was actually found shot dead up sitting up against an oak tree, but it's never been confirmed whether somebody shot him or whether he actually committed suicide. So I thought that was kind of cool how they portrayed that in the movie. Um, very true to, to how Johnny Ringo in real life, because yes, Johnny Ringo is actually a real character. All those characters in that movie actually are based off real characters and it's based off real events. Um, it's something I have a, a big interest in. I'm always reading up on that shit. So so a little, little bit of a history lesson for you too. So yeah, number three, Johnny Ringo, he is my third favorite bad guy of all time. My second Favorite bad guy. And this one, this one was pretty tricky because he's a bad guy, he's a villain, he's an attack antagonist in the movie to the character. But as a viewer, oh my god, you cannot help but love this guy. So, my second favorite bad guy is none other than Big earn Ernie McCracken from the glorious movie Fucking Kingpin. Of course. Played by Bill Murray. Um, So, (laughs) Ernie McCracken, of course. So, he becomes the villain, the antagonist, the bad guy, whatever. Because early in the movie, he joins up with Roy Munson, played by Woody Harrelson. They join up and they start hustling people at bowling alleys. I mean, if you're not hustling people at bowling alleys, you're not fucking doing life right, as far as I'm concerned. But, long story short, he gets Munson hooked into hustling these people and then... When when some of the Hustleys hustles get get caught up with them, he le- he basically he turns his back on Munson and he leaves them for dead, basically. And Ernie McCracken goes on to a life of fame and fortune, all via the bo- pro professional bowling league world, whatever you want to call it. But throughout the movie, or even in the early scenes, Biggern he's just he's such a fucking he's such a pompous, arrogant fucking prick that like you're supposed to hate him because he's the bad guy, you know. But because he's because it's played that character's played by Bill Murray, and because as it turns out, a lot of his. Uh, a lot of his stuff in that movie is actually improv. I was reading up about this the other day. And yeah, a lot of Bill Murray's stuff in that movie is based on, is, isn't based on, it's improv. So that makes it even better. But you you actually can't help but love Ernie McCracken. And I actually think he he is the star of the movie. So again, like I say, he's supposed to be a bad guy, but he's only the bad guy. He's only the villain to to the other main character, Woody Harrelson, to the viewer I think he's the most beloved character, in my opinion, throughout the fucking movie with his his flamboyant outfits that he wears when bowling. Always, always with a stupid fucking silk scarf wrapped around his uh, <laughs> wrapped around his neck, and and <laughs> his fucking his belt buckle, and of course he's got the rose. He's got the rose embedded right in his bowling ball. It's fucking unbelievable, and of course. The, the most underrated, the best part of Ernie McCracken is his hair, especially in the final showdown with Roy Munson in the bowling Finals there at that super tournament or whatever you want to call it. The more they bowl, the fucking crazier his hair gets because he's got that big comb over, right? And it like at one point it's sticking like straight out of the fucking side of his head, and it's all over the place. And just his facial expressions and everything. He's just he's such it's such a fucking good character. But then again, it's played by Bill Murray, so. What character played by Bill Murray isn't a great character? But having said that, this is one of the few movies where the bad guy actually wins in the end. He's supposed to be the bad guy, right? And he beats he beats Roy Munson in the finals of that bowling tournament by one pin. So again, it's not very often that a bad guy wins out in the end. But does he? I don't know because... What I think is pretty funny is at the end of the movie, Roy Munson, he's got that rubber hand, right? So he gets a $500,000 endorsement from Trojan condoms based on his uh, little prosthetic hand there. But uh, Ernie McCracken, Big Earn, Bill Murray, I think he's my second favorite bad guy. That guy really fucking carries the movie. Um, It's like I said, you're not supposed to like him, but you can't help but love him. So very, very, very well done by bill murray and big urn ernie mccracken and finally my number one favorite bad guy in all the movies i've seen and remember this is my opinion not yours my favorite fucking bad guy of all time is none other than
1: ladies and gentlemen this is your captain speaking <laughs> i have the
0: only gun on board welcome to con air Cyrus the goddamn virus from Con Air. Listen, this guy is... John Malkovich is such a good actor and gets no goddamn respect, in my opinion, but Cyrus the virus... Oh, my God. Okay, so let's... Fuck. I don't even know where to start. Con Air is such a terrible fucking movie. It makes it so good. I mean, Nick Cage terrible actor at the best of times in my opinion even worse fucking action hero but cyrus the virus is just i mean fuck like i'm i'm i don't even know where to start i'm speechless i don't even know how to explain it really but uh let's check out um let's check out cyrus's cyrus the virus's rap sheet here for a second His name is Cyrus Grissom, a.k.a. Cyrus the Virus. 39 years old, 25 of them spent in our institutions. But he's bettered himself inside, earned two degrees, including his Juris Doctor. He also killed 11 fellow inmates, incited three riots, and escaped twice. Okay, so the guy's 39 years old, been in prison for 25 years. So he went to fucking jail when he was 14. He has killed 11 inmates And incited three riots and escaped twice, soon to be a third time. I want to know, what the fuck are they even doing transporting this guy anywhere? Like, think about if he's that bad of a fucking dude. Like, he is the all-star on an all-star cast of Convicts. One of my other favorites, Danny Trejo, playing Johnny 23. They'd call me Johnny 600 if they knew the truth. (laughs) Hey, like... I, okay, so what the fuck are they doing transporting this guy in the first place? Why why is he not locked in a cage somewhere, surrounded by concrete walls, surrounded by more concrete walls, surrounded by a moat with piranhas in it? Like, it just, it doesn't fucking add up. It doesn't make sense. I mean, he's killed 11 inmates. I know this is just the movies, and I get it. But, like, if you kill an inmate, is that not an automatic, like, added Life sentence to whatever you're already serving, or I think a minimum of twenty five years. I just, but fuck, whatever. It is what it is. Like I said, it's such a fucking bad movie. It's so good, but John Malkovich. I mean, he did play that uh, psychopath stalker assassin in um, in The Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood. But I actually thought, if you if you sit and you think about John Malkovich, wow. Well, That's actually, this is contradicting because when I think of John Malkovich, Cyrus the goddamn virus is the first character that comes to mind. But he's kind of like a skinny little fucking dork, right? But they actually make him, they actually make him look like a real tough guy, hardened criminal, right? Like he's got that stone cold Steve Austin look to him. He's got the bald head. He's got the goatee. And he's got those. and, And you really notice it in the one scene. He's got some crazy fucking eyes going on. Pay attention to his movies. Next time you watch a John Malkovich movie, he's got some... His eyes are fucking nuts, man. And it actually shows really true. So when they take over the plane and the pilot comes out of the cockpit, who's actually Marty McSorley, by the way. And uh, Cyrus is trying to grab his gun and stuff and Marty grabs him by the face and he's holding him by the cheek and they put it into slow motion. And Cyrus turns and he actually... He shoots Marty McSorley in the guts. But his eyes, they go absolutely nuts. Like, they just... They're like laser beams coming out of his eyeballs when he looks at the... And it's very well done, actually, I think. I just... The look... The look of John Malkovich throughout this movie, I think, it actually makes him look pretty fucking nails. Um, The, uh... Of course... (laughs) Of course, Cyrus the And he's always got the one... He's always got the one-liners or the very... Um, he's calm, con- he's very calculated and he's very meticulous about the way things are going down on the plane, but he's just, his delivery on any of his lines, his delivery is so concise and deliberate and enunciated and it's just, and they're heartless and they're just, I can't, I don't know how else to explain, like his delivery is so fucking badass. and the, the lines seem pretty fucking real actually so um there's there's the line about the the flies buzzing over a guy's corpse have you got that have you got that for me there uh cory can you play that Corey? just joking i don't have a fucking producer fooled you though didn't i but you know the line i mean if not uh, i got it right here and if you say a word about this over the radio the next wings you see will belong to the flies buzzing over your rotting corpse I mean, I know when you hear that lo- those lines, you can actually, if you've seen the movie, you can actually picture John Malkovich. You can actually picture him saying that, and you can fucking see. Yeah, it's it's very well done. He's he's a very good character, and of course, there's the end of the scene there where he figures out that Poe, played by Nick Cage, um, Poe is the fucking rat, and he gets the the little bunny that Poe is supposed to give to his daughter when he gets home, blah, blah, And he's one move and the bunny gets it and he's holding it up. But I think the corniest yet the best scene from Cyrus the Virus is when they're at the Lerner Airfield. Okay, they're at Lerner Airfield and that's where Francisco Sandino is supposed to have the jet to take them down to Mexico or fucking, I don't know, wherever they're supposed to go, South America somewhere, I guess. I don't think maybe central america but they try to take off and they crash the plane or something and they they like sendino falls out of the plane and there's fuel spilling everywhere and cyrus the virus and swamp thing the 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 con pilot there they're standing there and they they see him so francisco sendino he's standing there and he's begging he's pleading with cyrus you know well, we were going to come pick you up we swear to god we were just moving the plane we were coming to get you and He's looking and he's pleading, and remember there's fuel, there's there's fuel spilling everywhere. And then Francisco Sandino says, Come on, please, sigh. And then Cyrus the Virus goes, Anara. And he pulls the fucking the dart out of Swamp Thing's mouth and he fucking throws it on the ground and Francisco Sandino just erupts in flames and the whole fucking place goes up. And it's it's so corny but it's so heartless cold and fucking badass at the same time oh it's like it makes you fucking laugh actually is what it does and i know i know that all of you fucking guys everybody listening to this show today you're all gonna run out and you're gonna fucking watch con air because and this is gonna be another topic for another day con air is one of those fucking movies that if you say you have a Bell Satellite and you're flipping through the fucking pages like looking for something to watch and it could be like 10.30 at night, okay? And you got to be up at four in the morning or 5.30 or something. You're like, fuck, I just want to go to bed early and just see what's on the, you know, the Leaf game's over or the Flames game's over or whatever and you see fucking Con Air. You have to watch it. You, you have to watch it if you see it on the guide. It's unavoidable. Like I've actually done it where... I know Con Air is on a certain station, so I'll like flip through that whole page in the guide so that I don't have to, so that I don't see it, and therefore I don't, I'm not up till two in the morning watching it because it's, it's just one of those movies, man. It sucks you in. It sucks you in. But uh, ultimately, Cyrus the Virus, he turns out to be a pretty fucking tough dude because right at the end of the movie, there, when they crash the plane, and it's, Skidding through the fucking strip in Las Vegas and shit. Cyrus gets away and he ends up on the back of this fire truck, um, fighting Nick Cage. Remember, Nick Cage got like shot in the arm and he's hanging off a fire truck with one arm and a fucking sweet wife beater covered in blood and dirt and guts and his long hair. And they're fighting and Nick Cage, they, they break that fire hook in half while they're fighting and Nick Cage. Fucking stabs it right through, right through Cyrus the Virus's leg, and he's standing there and he's screaming. And Nick Cage pulls himself up with one arm and he fucking handcuffs Cyrus to the to the ladder on the fire truck. He handcuffs him so he can't get away, and then he hits the lever. So he's the now the <laughs> now the ladder on the fire truck is going up in the air. And they're driving down the strip and they come across that fucking I call it a skywalk or whatever it is. One of those enclosed sidewalks that goes over the strip so you don't have to cross the lights or whatever. So Cyrus Fire slams through that. Okay, survives. Okay, he survives that. Then once he breaks free somehow, I get I'm assuming the handcuffs break and he falls down through all those hydro wires and they're all sparking and flashing and fucking firing up and shit's flying everywhere. Oh yeah, no, he survives that as well. And and keep in mind for a second this is on the strip of Las Vegas, okay? So he f- he fucking survives that and then he falls on a conveyor which is moving rock. So he falls on the conveyor, he lands underneath the rock crusher. Which is mind-boggling how <laughs> there's a rock crusher that close to downtown, that close to the strip of Las Vegas. Anyway, Cyrus the Virus, he finds himself on that rock crusher. He's still alive after enduring all that other shit. And he uh, he gets his head crushed by the rock crusher. And Cameron Poe, the cage, he goes to meet his little girl and his hummingbird. <laughs> all that jazz, so there you have it. I just thought, you know, much like Bill Murray, there hasn't been many roles that John Malkovich has played, which I don't thoroughly enjoy. I think he's a very underrated actor. I wish, I wish he would do more to be honest with you. But in my mind, in my opinion, Cyrus, the goddamn virus is the undisputed champ of bad guys in any movie that's out there. And another thing that rings true to this is and I've only met one human being but if you ever meet a human being named Cyrus his nickname is automatically Cyrus the Virus. That's how you know he's a good bad guy because people automatically name people named nickname people named Cyrus Cyrus the Virus. So so there you have it folks. Those are my top 5 bad guys. Of movies out there. I mean, again, like I said before we started this, this is a thread that could go on and on and on and on with characters and characters and characters and opinions and facts and whatever. But my show, my opinion, my characters. So so uh, feel free to reach out with some feedback. Let me know who your favorite, char- your favorite uh, we'll call them villain characters in movies are. Um, guys that you actually kind of tried to get behind, you know, you tried to like, you kind of ride or die for those guys. Um, there'll be some interesting ones out there for sure. But uh, that's it. That's the show for today's podcast. Don't forget, um, if you got some some products, some clothing lines, whatever, um, that you want me to test out and uh, send them my way and you'll, you'll get some free publicity on air if you send me something to try out, we can go down that route. A little bit of a shameless plug for me. And, of course, don't forget, episode 22. We are going to be live on location for episode 22. Uh, that comes up two weeks from now, so be sure to tune in for that. I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be some great stuff. Listen, I'm sorry if you don't like the wrestling talk, but guess what? Every once in a while, i got to do something for myself, okay? And if you don't like the wrestling talk, if you're one of the 922 listeners that doesn't like wrestling, okay, guess what? There's there's probably 37 listeners that do, So you got to give them what they want sometimes too, all right? So just deal with it, okay? Deal with it here on the Cox Talks Podcast. Listen, again, thanks for listening. Stick around for episode 22. There's great stuff to come. Uh, And as always, the most important thing, tell your friends. Tell your fucking friends about the Cox Talks Podcast. Thanks for listening.